Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbley, and this is being recorded live on TalkShoe, December 18th, 2009. Biota Live is a continuation of the Biota Podcasts. For more information on the Biota Podcasts, go to biota.org slash podcast. Well, this is the last podcast recording for 2009. I know we've been away for uh, a couple of weeks We've had a couple of weeks off for this kind of period, and the original plan was to record two weeks early and then have a podcast currently as well. However, this one could only make this evening, and I thought, why not take a bit of a break and then record a, a bumper podcast for the end of the year uh, with this one this evening. So, BioLive will return in a slightly different format next year, or at least the early part of next year. I am going to be recording BioLive on the Saturday. The feedback that we got from the last Saturday recording, in fact, the Saturday recordings that we've done, has been particularly strong, not saying anything about the average or the, the usual crowd that turn out on a Friday night. It's always wonderful to have folks in the chat room, such as Ryan Flanagan and Dick Gordon, uh, but certainly both Dick and Ryan have uh, participated in the Saturday recordings as well. So I'm yet to decide whether I'll be recording in the morning or the afternoon on Saturday or potentially the early evening as well. And I'd like your feedback. If you listen to Biota Live and you'd like to participate either in the call and the chat, please let me know what the ideal time on Saturday would be, potentially Sunday as the, as the dateline switches over. I record in Nevada, which is a Pacific, currently Pacific Standard Time, uh, so the west coast of the US, so please work that out with regards to where you are currently. But there is potential to cover the entire globe in either doing morning or afternoon recordings of Bio Live on a Saturday. So for folks listening in who'd like to participate, who haven't participated yet, this is your chance. Please let me know when you'd like me to record Bio Live, tom at com. And I'll make a decision uh, pretty early in the new year, set up the first call, and then BioLife will continue, as it has for uh, the past two years now. This is also kind of the, the two-year anniversary. Well, the first episode next year will be the two-year anniversary, and I think the BioLife format is wonderful. Certainly, I won't be changing anything in terms of how we hold BioLife, but the actual time for the recording will change uh, for the early part of uh, next year, at least. Um, my wife is doing a course over that period of time, and it's just easier to record on the Saturday. So get in contact, tom at com, and let me know when you'd like me to record Biot Live to fit in with your particular schedule. In addition to this, I've had some correspondence with regards to the Greytham meetings, and I haven't really publicized Greytham much in the past six months. So truth be told, as I mentioned in the interview with John Klein, there's been a slowdown in Greythams, both in the Bay Area, Boston, London, the Netherlands, these kind of areas. And really, I think this is the, the ideal time for the Greytham communities to probably start looking at uh, you know, what, they, what they'd like to do and honing their specific skill set. Uh, Oliver, who appeared not in the last Biotolite, but the Biotolite previously, recently moved to Boston. And I put him in contact with Adam Aramenko and John Klein and Brian Pelton and, uh, as the kind of core founding members of Greytham in Boston. And they are, have agreed, apparently, to get together for a, a drink and maybe a meal and have a good chat about artificial life. And I think, really, we can return to this kind of grassroots grace-up element uh, in the current times. So I certainly know in the Bay Area there are a number of folk who uh, would like to do something relatively uh, relatively simple. Hello, caller. Hello, uh, it's Dick Gordon calling. So, Dick, 
coming into the new year, we have had some discussion associated with Biota 5 um, leading up to this point. But in terms of the changing economy, in terms of a possible changing perspective of artificial life, what's your current thinking with regards to Biota 5 going on in, in 2011? Well, basically, we need some volunteers to form a committee. And reaching out to the community, what kind of, I mean, when we've talked about this, both when you were here in Las Vegas and also via email, I've always stressed that we need to have people in a number of different areas of the artificial life community and perhaps even the the communities that kind of vent into the artificial life community, like the game development community, perhaps some of the science versus religion folk, these kind of people. I mean, in terms of the committee that you want to form, how many how many different areas would you like to take people from? Are you still thinking about a kind of diverse group for Biota 5, or would you like to really hone into to what you started in Divine Action Natural Selection? Well, I think what we need is a couple of working volunteers to... Uh, you know, people actually want to put some energy into it, and then uh, we can make those decisions. Uh, I'm not, I'm not fussy. I mean, you've talked about narrowing, narrowing the scope in some ways. Uh, you've also talked about uh, making sure that there are ways that people could participate electronically, so so they didn't have to travel. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any hard and fast ideas about how to do this. And do you plan on going to the Artificial Life 12 conference? No, that's uh, too expensive for me to get to. It's That's in uh, Denmark, I believe, or? I think so. I think so. Yeah. And we have another caller on the line. Let me just bring in the other caller. Hello, New York. Hi, Tom. It's Liz. Hi, Liz. Good to have you on the call. We also have Dick Gordon on the line, and I expect we may get Bruce Samer in the near future. Liz, was this is your first time appearing on Biota Live. Would you like to introduce yourself to the Biota Live community? Sure. My name is Liz Swan, and I have my PhD in philosophy from the University of South Carolina. I just received my PhD last year. And now, um, although, yes, my phone number is New York, I actually live in Colorado, and I'm teaching philosophy for the University of Colorado um, in Denver this semester and then in Boulder uh, next semester. And I've been interested in artificial life now for, I guess, the past five or six years and have managed to um, get a couple of publications in artificial life, which, as you know, is kind of rare for a philosopher, and so um, I'm just joining the group and interested to hear um, what's going on with the group these days. But I think what's interesting about artificial life, I mean, if if, if you look at Margaret A. Burden, if you look at Mark Badeau, if you look at the, the philosophers that Margaret A. Burden brought together in her original uh, philosophy of artificial life, you get the mm-hmm. sense that artificial life is philosophically sticky, that it has a, a number of interesting philosophical questions. What are the particular philosophical questions that interest you about artificial life? I guess that the main question that got me interested in artificial life in the first place, when I started reading it, um, I came from a philosophy of mind, cognitive science background, and was actually doing research in artificial intelligence and came across that book that you mentioned by Margaret Bowden, which is a fantastic collection of essays on the topic. And um, the more I read about the methodology, how artificial life experiments actually work, the more it struck me that they work just like thought experiments that philosophers are much more uh, familiar with and much more comfortable with. And I remember a few years ago kind of floating that idea by some of my 
philosophical colleagues, and everyone thought that um, it just didn't work and it wasn't right and it was a poor comparison. But um, I stuck with it, you know, and, and eventually did get this paper published on just that idea. But I see what A-lifers are doing as a different way of doing thought experimenting. So for philosophers, this tool of thought experimenting is a really important tool because in philosophy we talk about all sorts of things that we can't empirically prove. Um, they're just beyond, you know, the, the constraints of time and space or um, practical constraints experiments that couldn't possibly be done in the real world. So we're used to relying on thought experiments. And I see a lot of what artificial lifers are doing, especially in soft day life and scientific computing, as being um, just like thought experimentation. So that was kind of my first in. And then um, more recently, as I'm more and more interested in philosophy of biology and um, looking at how uh, philosophy understands the concepts of biology and tries to find truth in concepts in biology. I am interested in looking at artificial life as an alternative way of looking at biological theories. So I guess those are those are the two main interests of mine in artificial life. So I think you've beautifully touched on both my interests initially because the background of noble life is exactly what you're describing with regards to this idea of philosophical thought experiments, and also Dick Gordon's interests with regards to the kind of broader philosophy of biology somewhere coming through uh, artificial life. Dick, can you talk about that with regards to your own experience of the artificial life community that, that you know may benefit uh, Liz's thinking as well? Well, I, I guess I'd like to question Liz on... Uh, uh, I, read her, I just read her article, uh, the, uh, the one published this year, uh, synthesizing insight, artificial life as thought experimentation in biology, and she mentions but doesn't draw any judgments about the what we I think is called the strong a life hypothesis, and that is that artificial life is alive. And uh, I, I'd like to delve into that a bit if if she'd like to uh, talk about it. Sure. Um... Yeah, that's interesting that you should bring that up because uh, since the publication of that paper, um, working on another one, I have been in touch with a philosopher of science in Germany, and he brought up that exact uh, question slash objection, which is, um, and he, he even sort of took it further saying it sounds like, you know, Sometimes it sounds like you're saying A-life creatures are really living, and sometimes it sounds like you're saying they're not. So, you know, what gives? What's the bottom line? And my reply to him, and thus to you, is the same, which is I, as a philosopher, I don't want to really take a stand on that question because um, what I'm seeing in, in my research of A-lifers is that some of them, Thomas Ray, for instance, does believe that these are real instances of living things. These really are living things. Um, there's no reason to argue that they're not. And then a lot of uh, A-lifers um, are saying, you know, well, that's not so important whether they're alive or not. They're sort of, you know, emulating or simulating the same biological processes that we're interested in, and that's all that matters. And, I mean, to to really disclose my own beliefs here, 
Uh, I definitely have been called a biological chauvinist before. So I do um, tend to believe that there is something um, unique about biological material, especially when you get to complex organisms with brains. But I don't really have uh, a, a solid proof philosophical argument for that. That's more philosophical intuition. And the way I leave it in that paper that you mentioned, the synthesizing insight paper, is um, the more, I take the more modest approach that if artificial life programs can simulate these processes to an extent that biologists themselves are finding them useful and interesting and um, insightful, that's good enough for me. Well, it, it seems to me the question, you have to look at what is, if, you take, if we stick with soft day life, then uh, we're dealing with computer simulation and therefore with computer code. And it seems to me the fundamental question is the relationship between such code and what we might call the real world. Uh, you know, there's spec there, the ideas on that range all over the place, but uh, up to the point where some people regard the whole universe as a computer simulation. So, uh, you know, what, what do you see as the relationship between code and the real world? Yeah, I don't know if that uh, comparison is so helpful. At least in my mind, it's not, to think of the whole world as a computer simulation. I'm not sure what that even really means because... Well, um, do you want me to answer that? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, I, I can answer that. I, I think... I would say computer in brackets simulation, but if you look at things like the financial system, if you look at things like the legal system, and whilst computer components of those are computerized, if you look at the space that humans exist in, it is very heavily, if not computerized, at least simulated by both the classical and contemporary definition of simulation as we interact in the environment. But what interests me with regards to this whole definition of alive and manipulation and human manipulation is that good, I mean, almost all of the real world that we exist in has been completely manipulated by humanity. And the notion that simulation exists as a kind of manipulation of an environment is, is very much what most of us experience in the real world. So what interests me is this idea that simulation, that what may be talked about in a slightly depreciated fashion, this whole notion that all we are doing is tinkering with computers. Well, if you look at, for example, Tom Ray's work, if you look at a number of people in the contemporary artificial life community, the amount of time and the amount of energy that not only they put in, but a group the world over in terms of a very rich and, and interesting user base creates a, a degree of, of, of credibility to at least the, the passive claim that artificial life simulation exists to a level that, for example, uh, bacteria in a petri dish does, at least from visual uh, observation. So I think these kind of claims, what interests me with regards to your approach, Liz, is the potential for people such as yourself to directly interact with the artificial life community. And it's interesting that you mentioned Tom Ray specifically because Tom was on a recent live and he's talking about how he now doesn't feel particularly part of the artificial life community. But what's interesting in, in the work that he described himself currently doing is it's very much this idea of... Um, intelligent agents in a simulation, almost cognitive science experiments in a simulated environment, which really links what you were talking about, about your initial interest in artificial life with 
the kind of contemporary or a certain strain of the contemporary artificial life community, which I think in, is very strong and very philosophically interesting, more than just a kind of uh, philosophy of biology and more in the kind of cognitive science, cognitive philosophy space. But anyway, Dick, sorry, I, 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 I took up your, uh, your point. Well, let, yeah, let me quote from Liz's paper here. Uh, she talks about a life as having a lurking presumption of the entire field, namely that life may be more abstract than we think, and therefore the actual manifestation of life, whether biological or theoretical, is less important. I guess I'm trying to nail you down. What do you mean by more abstract? Oh, okay, and this is that sentence that you just read is not a claim that I'm advocating. It's just a claim that I'm trying to clarify in the paper. And really, that's coming from uh, Christopher Langton's famous, um, you know, comparison that I have in the paper too, where he says what we're really trying to get at, and I'm paraphrasing here, with artificial life is um, we're trying to understand life as it could be, not life as it is. So life as it is, that's the job of biologists to figure out and categorize. So life as it could be. And I guess the way I'm understanding um, his idea there is that, uh, you know, life could be a group of particular processes or a particular kind of organization, something that is could be abstracted away from biological media and could be instantiated in artificial media too. So I'm not... I understand. Yeah, go ahead. I understand the conclusion, but uh, let me substitute a word in there for life. Uh, we could assume that uh, that all physics may be more abstract than we think. You know, uh, a number of us are involved in a, a, an online course in embryo physics, uh-huh. and here the assumption is that uh, we can try to unravel uh, ontogenesis by uh, uh, using physics. And if we can, quote, reduce life to physics, then uh, in what sense is it more abstract than we think? Abstract, and maybe it's the usage of the word abstract here that's problematic. And I'm not using it in a strict philosophical sense to mean beyond space and time, like platonic forms or platonic entities. But abstract, as in, um, as in, for instance, a computer program that you can abstract out of the 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 hardware, abstract it out of your laptop and put it on somebody else's laptop. So I'm using it more in the sense of um, maybe that's not the best word for it, but something that can be instantiated in different media. So what if life is a collection of particular, let's say, five processes, and these processes can be instantiated, as Tom Ray apparently um, believes, in artificial media or in biological media or maybe in other types of media undiscovered, as of yet undiscovered um, life forms elsewhere in the universe. That kind of, that's what I mean by abstract. Does that make it any clearer? Yeah, a bit. Uh, Tom, can you, since I, I have, I'm coming in on Skype. I can't see the list of people who have logged in. Is uh, William Buckley logged in? Uh, I'm not sure. Let me just go check. Sorry, I'm in a different room. I'm not seeing William Buckley logged in currently, unfortunately. 
because I know he'd come in with a with a different view. But I mean, following following what's being said, some of my favourite conversations with you previously, Dick, have related to actually the large gaps in in biology, and certainly my background with regards to physics also indicates the large gaps in physics too. I mean, it's almost like there is a, a fundamentally a kind of a multi-level, multi-scale problem with regards to abstracting life. And I mean, certainly then you move into the social sciences as well and what artificial life can be uh, used to, to describe some of the social sciences. But I think, Liz, as, as we have you on BioLive, uh, it this gives a wonderful opportunity for the BioLive listening audience, artificial life developers, people who have developed a wide variety of simulations uh, to contact you with regards to this question specifically. And I think it's also your interest to get a, a broader kind of contemporary surveying of the community uh, in order to give, give more feedback to your, to your general uh, philosophical questions. You mentioned Margaret A. Bowden's work in particular. If you were going to do a, a kind of contemporary surveying similar to Margaret A. Bowden, where would you look in particular? Uh, where, in what particular topics in artificial life do you mean? Yes. Or recently I've been interested in trying, and, and this is related, maybe not directly related, but I'm interested in um, putting together a collection of essays that link origins of mind research with origins of life research. And I, I think that some of this, some of the, the credit for this idea can go to um, the team of researchers I discuss in that paper, the Avita team, who are, you know, composed of computer scientists and biologists who are looking at um, the origin of complex cognitive features, you know, given Darwinian principles, how do, how can we even get complex cognitive features out of sort of simple, quote unquote, simple living systems and what's already there in living systems. So that's, um, that group of thought experiments from the Avita team maybe started this genesis of, of thinking in this direction where I'd like to look at, um, you know, collecting essays in origins of life. So this would be like astrobiology, origins of life, people, and origins of mind. Um, so not so much philosophy of mind because then we're kind of, in a whole different realm of, of thinking about mind. But um, what I'm interested in as a philosopher is looking at the biological origins of mind, of cognition. So that's what I would like to do if I were to update that kind of approach. And that would certainly include essays on artificial life because artificial life in the Avita team is a perfect example, can help to you know, give insight to this link, not just, I think, biological concepts and biological laws and things like that, but if we um, want a naturalistic understanding of the human mind, which I do as a philosopher, then we need to understand the biological origins of mind, too. So I would be, you know, in this hypothetical collection of essays, I would be open to including, you know, um, experiments from artificial life researchers that are looking at exactly that tie, that link. And certainly, I mean, in terms of previous BioLive participants, when you talk about the origin of mind, I always go back to Roy Plotnick. Roy Plotnick is a, a paleobiologist. I think he's doing a, a, a stint in North Carolina, but he's normally associated with, uh, I want to say, University of, of Illinois, Chicago. 
but his background is with regards to artificial life simulation of the kind of pre-Cambrian period as as floating organisms started to work out, not even intelligence, kind of sub-intelligence from moving between feeding grounds. And I think these these kind of points where intelligence and the mind kind of starts from and and moving through this. I mean, there are so many artificial life developers that one can list here, the, the Framstex team. Uh, there are elements of Brevet, obviously, uh, Larry Yeager with Polyworld. There are elements, obviously, in, in Jeffrey Ventrella. A number of previous participants in BioLive and members of the BioLive community have touched on these aspects. And obviously, Avida is part of a, a long narrative which kind of starts in some regard with Cold War, Tom Ray's work, um, William R. Buckley, who Dick is um, calling onto the call, but I don't think who has actually arrived currently is also uh, part of that community uh, as well. So, I mean, there have been a number of participants that probably have a number of different philosophical uh, perspectives associated with these three issues. 